This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 17 through 44. And that's on page 1078 in your church Bible. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many and many Jews had come to see Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved her. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the de uh, dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. 
Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Donald. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we do pray that those last words we were just hearing would be true of each of us. Take off the grave clothes and let him go or her go. We pray that you would do that, that you would show us more of the freedom that we have in Christ because of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you could be forgiven for wondering whether I've got my dates mixed up with the reading we just heard. Um, it's a reading that's traditionally read at, um, at Easter. And for those who like to follow sort of the church calendar, it's actually Lent that's approaching next week. So you might think, well, why have I chosen a reading all about the resurrection right before Lent? Well, the answer is because the resurrection is good news every day of the week. And I think sometimes it's good to break the mold and to look at it from a different angle. And hopefully, for those of you who do follow Lent, um, it will help you to appreciate the resurrection even more when it comes to Easter Sunday. So I want to speak to you um, this morning on the subject, how to bring resurrection hope when it really matters. How to bring resurrection hope when it really matters. We all at various points in our lives encounter suffering people, uh, people who are struggling and finding life incredibly hard. Uh, it can be someone close to us or just an acquaintance or a friend. But when someone we know suffers, it can be difficult to know how to support them, how to love them as a Christian, what to do, what to say, what not to do, what not to say. Now, we want as a church to, to be a place where more and more people can come, whatever they're facing, and find love and belonging and family here. But even more, we want to be a place where people can discover for themselves the awesome resurrection hope that Jesus wants them to know. Because whatever the suffering, whatever the pain or the problem, we believe that no pit is too deep for God, that no person is too far gone, that they can't discover and experience the hope that Jesus holds out to them. So how do we actually bring resurrection hope when it really matters? Jesus does three things in this passage which show how he, on the one hand, completely uniquely as the Son of God, brings hope to us. But as we look at these three things that Jesus does, I believe there's helpful pointers for us here about how we can be bringers of resurrection hope when it matters too. So what does Jesus do? Firstly, he waits Secondly, he weeps. And thirdly, he speaks. He waits, he weeps, and he speaks. So firstly, he waits. In verse 21, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Or a bit earlier in verse 3, it says actually that when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
Jesus deliberately waits. Now, is it just me or is that a really, really baffling response? You know, personally, I'm keen to rush to the nicer bits of this passage and the nicer bits of the Bible, the promises, the guarantees, the I wills of God. But I do think it's important to pause at this point and to observe that Jesus waits and he waits quite deliberately. And of course, this begs the obvious question, is Jesus just being cruel? You know, you can hear the dismay and the pain in Mary and Martha's pointed comments, can't you? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They're not particularly reverent remarks, are they? He's essentially saying, you know, where were you? They still have faith, don't they? But there's, there's a real um, confusion about what's delayed Jesus. Why has he waited? Why didn't you come? Why haven't you been here? And in case we were in any doubt, about Jesus' timing. Jesus says again in verse 14, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there. Not exactly the most pastorally sensitive comment, is it? But Jesus waits, and he waits deliberately, that much is clear. What should we make of that? I think that firstly, having resurrection hope does not exclude us from seasons in which God leads us into deep oceans of pain. And a kind of pain that does not immediately yield God's purpose and intention to us until later. To make matters more confusing for us in some ways, it says that Lazarus was known as the disciple Jesus loved. Lord, the one you love is ill. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a simple, one-size-fits-all explanation for the mess and pain in the world. And it is, isn't it, the number one reason people struggle to believe in God. If you're here and you're exploring Christianity, I would imagine that's top of your list of questions. That if God is real, if God loves us, then why is there such horrific, pointless suffering in the world? And we're not given a complete answer to that question in this text, but the text does emphasize that Jesus loved Lazarus, Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and yet they suffered. And there was a purpose at work, which wasn't immediately obvious until later. Even though Jesus waits, the text is equally insistent that Jesus loves Lazarus. This is not some kind of cruel withholding of God's purpose and plan. No, in some sense, this is actually part of it. Jesus waits, but it's not due to lack of love, and that's important. Now, you might think, well, how does this actually help us to be bringers of resurrection hope? I think it helps us enormously because it enables us to have a category when we're speaking with suffering people to say, I understand that you might feel abandoned by God. I understand that you might feel ground down by illness or perplexed by God's silence or feeling like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and that is incredibly hard. But God sometimes waits. 
and his waiting is not a reflection of his lack of love. The breakthrough absolutely will come, but not in our timing or in the way that we might expect or in the absence of real trials and troubles. Because Jesus waits. But more than that, and this is my second point, Jesus weeps. So in verses 33 to 35, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him, they asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus so identifies with the pain and mess of the situation that he weeps. Now, I wonder how it makes you feel to think of Jesus weeping. You know, one of the privileges of ministry is that you get to hear people's stories. And um, the thing that has struck me so often has been the difference that God makes when he steps into incredibly dark situations in such incredible solidarity. And when you consider the reality of Jesus weeping, it's teaching something important here. It's saying, for me anyway, it gives me incredible comfort to know that God chooses to make my trials his trials. That God chooses to make our pain his pain. Indeed, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it's like heaven was saying... Here is a savior who does not just feel compassion for you. He makes your burden his burden. He makes your sin as if it was his sin. He makes his freedom your freedom. Now, interestingly, when it says that Jesus was deeply troubled, it's quite a weak translation, I'm told. A more accurate translation would be that he was agitated, um, or indignant, or angry. He's, he, it's like he looks out on the, on the destruction and, that sin and death has brought on the world, and he doesn't just feel a kind of compassion and grief. He also feels a righteous anger about it. So what does all of this mean for us as bringers of hope? At the very least, it means the degree to which we love those God puts in our path, to that degree, we will also suffer with them when they suffer. Now, that is not an easy thing to embrace, nor is it something that we can bear in our own strength. You know, it takes an incredible degree of security and sense of identity to take into yourself the pain and the trouble of others without losing your own sense of self and well-being in the process. And I think this is indicating that this is partly what we're called to do. But I find, you know, the brutality of life, being in the rat race, the suffering of the world, if we're not careful, these things can slowly over time begin to harden our hearts to other people, to erect barriers and to wear masks to keep people at a distance from us. But 
contrast that with Jesus Christ, who in this reading looks out on humanity and our suffering and pain, weeps and comes to save us at infinite cost to himself. And it's teaching, I think, that when we follow in the same steps of Jesus, it involves who we are at the very deepest level. And we need his grace every step of the way to do it. So Jesus waits, he weeps, and crucially and finally he speaks, he says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. This is the great towering truth that changes everything. And it's also the truth that has the power to set us free from the need to bear by ourselves the grief, pain, and the mess of, that God calls to, of the people that God calls us to love and to serve. Because the truth is, on our own, we would be overwhelmed. On our own, we don't have what it takes to carry the pain of the people around us. On our own, we have no hope to offer. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's Jesus who walked out of the tomb. And it's Jesus who gives us the gospel to proclaim and empowers us by his spirit to live it, to speak it. I um, once went to an interview and they asked me what was, in my opinion, a truly dreadful question. And the question was this, um, what is your gospel, Matt? And I remember thinking to myself, how do I answer this politely? But personally, I couldn't think of a more stupid question. Suffice it to say, I didn't get that job. But it's not about my gospel or the sort of, you know, my, what's your truth? the your truth generation. I hate that phrase. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who came down, died, and rose again, and revealed himself to me, and saved me. He's the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and proved it by rising from the dead. And he's the one who takes up our frail humanity, our faltering attempts at obedience, and gives them resurrection power and effectiveness. Jesus speaks and his words have such power. You can see that in verse 43. He shouts in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out wrapped in strips of linen. When Jesus speaks, his words have power to raise dead and hopeless sinners like Lazarus, like you and me, to life with him. How do we bring resurrection hope when it really matters? We recognize that sometimes Jesus waits. We see that Jesus weeps, but crucially we see that Jesus speaks. And here's the awesome thing, we get to be his mouthpieces with our friends, with our colleagues, with our families. 
And I guess I just want to say that there's no limit to what God can do with a simple statement of hope. I still vividly remember a couple of times in my life when this has been so true. One particular one was when my dad said to me three words, don't give up. That was it. And the Holy Spirit used such a simple statement to pull me back from the brink. I still vividly remember when a friend quoted to me at just the right time, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In God's hands, these simple statements of hope changed my life. So, when you walk along someone, alongside someone who suffers, I think I would just encourage you to not be scared into silence about the hope that you have. Because Jesus still speaks. And he can do more than we can ask or imagine by a simple statement of resurrection hope. Shall we pray? Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the hope that we have in you, that you are indeed the resurrection and the life. We thank you that we have access to that life and that hope every day and every moment because of what you've done for us. And thank you that you don't just have compassion, that you don't just weep because of the sin and mess of the world, but you also hold out to us real, indestructible resurrection hope. And we ask that you would make us bolder to speak of what you've done in our lives, to be your mouthpieces in a suffering and hurting world. In Jesus' name we pray.